we have a frustrating experience as professionals in the industry when a family brings their kid to treatment or sends a family member to therapy with these expectations um, that quite frankly may not be realistic. And that's what Sarah's gonna discuss with us today. I've had the amazing pleasure of interviewing Sarah in the past. Uh, we met out at Cape Cod and at that symposium and now we are both part of the West Coast Symposium on Addiction Disorders and I personally think Sarah's brilliant, and as soon as I can convince her to move out to Colorado, I'm bringing her in my facility, um, uh, and which I'm sure will run alongside her practice. It's all set up. I've got it already arranged. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I'm your host, Aaron Huey. My guest today is Sarah Bueno, and Sarah has a million letters after her name of all of her uh, incredible uh, certifications, degrees, and everything like that. I'm going to let her tell you about it. But this is a WCSAD 2020 virtual conference podcast of Beyond Risk and Back, where we get the experts and their latest research and understanding of the world of mental health direct to you, the listener. Thank you for joining us, Sarah. Welcome back to Beyond Risk and Back. It's I'm, it's such a pleasure to have you. I dig you so much. Thanks. Same. The feeling is mutual. Um, let's talk about how you ended up in this industry. Let's give a, let's give a, a folks a taste of what happened to Sarah. What did she see, feel, taste, touch experience that she ended up on this side of the fence trying to help heal others? Such a great question. I grew up in a family that was affected by addiction and I didn't know it because the addiction wasn't wasn't in front of me. It was both of my, it definitely my, my mom's side, my, my grandfather was an alcoholic and I suspect also on my dad's side. And so the trickle down effect of two adult children of alcoholics, and then the trauma that that created for me of not being seen. And then also having addiction come closer to me in other relationships at later points in my life. And, right. you know, my question for myself going into studying to be a therapist was what happened in my family <laughs> and right. how do, how do I kind of make sense of all of that for myself and help other people along the way? Fantastic. Let's jump right in because I want to give listeners as much time as possible with this, what you're, what you're talking about. And when you sent me an email about this conversation, um, you used a term that I want to bring up because it's a term that everybody knows, including people who yep. aren't in the industry, but the wounded healer. Uh, I, it's such a, such a potent term and being someone who runs a facility with therapists and, uh, direct care staff members and doctors and nurses and everything. It's very, very prevalent. What is the wounded healer? Well, it's funny that you ask that because that's the question I ask on, on my podcast, which is called conversations with the wounded healer. And so I've asked over a hundred times now, what is, what is that? And literally every person has a different answer. Amazing. But but what what most people end up coming to within our conversation is that all of us who step into roles in healing professions have some sort of of wound that we carry with us, and it's our choice as professionals: do we want to do the work of doing our best to heal? Because I don't ever think we're completely healed, but do, can we can we at least step into a healing space with that and bring the information that we've gained from those wounds? into our healing relationships with clients. 
Is there a particular transition that you personally experienced where you looked at your own wounded healer nature and then said, oh, that doesn't help my clients. I need to switch that. Or were you just literally able to reframe the wound into support? It, it, it's less of, I, I wouldn't have said this isn't helpful to clients, but I've always ridden the line of, I need to have experienced just enough to like have street cred with my clients, you know, especially <laughs> since I work in addiction and I, I don't have a substance use disorder myself. Yeah. I got to have something, right? So my trauma, you know, all that stuff, right? Got to have something. So there's that piece, but then there's also the piece that I can't be too crazy because then I don't have credibility and I can't right. get any work done. So it's been this really fine line that I've intended to ride. And it's been, it's just been more of a fear that I'm not good enough because of not being healed enough or, 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 or not having experienced the right kind of trauma that my clients will respond to. You know, it's interesting because I, I, had an experience. We, we had a young man join the program. I've actually spoken to the young man, the parents and the uh, director of our facility about this experience I had. I'm one of the teachers currently. Mm -hmm. And this boy came in. And for the first week here, I was completely hypervigilant. I was counting how many times he was going to the bathroom. I was watching mm -hmm. his his dietary intake. I was you listening to every interaction. I was I was sending notes to all of the staff all the time. I was like, hey, watch for this and be careful about that and keep your eyes on this kiddo. And two days after um, that, that week was up and they were all out on a wilderness trip, I really sat back and I said, I'm not doing that with the other kids. Like, what is it about this kid that's really mm -hmm. got me? And I realized that he reminded me and was triggering me of a second grade bully. And I was like, holy moly. And so I immediately told all the staff and told the uh, uh, directors, like, I need you to, you know, talk me through this experience. And then I told the kid's yeah. parents and I told the kid himself. And I was like, because I recognized that as long as I was being triggered, I couldn't be in a place of support. In fact, my hypervigilance wasn't helping. And... Um, we have a incredible, I love this kid. I have a great relationship, but it took some wounded healer work on my own part. Yeah. How do you, what is the work that a wounded healer has to do? And I know we're talking about this term a lot, but again, it's your podcast. Right. We're both out on the same network. You have an incredible show. What is the work of a wounded healer to really become from a good therapist, counselor, coach to a great one? I mean, humility is probably the biggest piece of it. And recognizing that we're never healed and that the work is never done. And, you know, I, I want to say the word fearless, but that's also not accurate because I have a ton of fear, <laughs> you know, when, when I, when I am going into therapy and looking at some really deep, dark places, it's not fun, but it's necessary. And I, I see therapists who, who, I guess, fall prey to the barriers that, that get in the way of doing that really deep work. And everybody's deep work is different because there's so many different types of trauma that we may have experienced. So I can't say like, well, this is the exact thing you need to do. But in my life, 
what I've finally stepped into over the past couple of years is that my healing is what's most important and, and helping my clients is the benefit of doing my own healing. And I would have thought before that that was selfish, but now I recognize that I, I really can't be helping people to the extent that I want to, unless I'm focused on me first. You know, it seems, sir, that you're kind of, uh, and I'll just go ahead and say for the sake of being provocative, you're taking an opportunity yeah. to reveal to listeners, parents, other clinicians, teachers, that therapists are human. How dare you? I know. Right. Well, and, <laughs> and I'm, I'm so glad you bring that up too, because especially throughout the pandemic, that's one of the pieces that I think has been missing in the therapy relationship. It, so objectification, right? We talked about this before we started yeah, we recording, did. but I think therapists are feeling very objectified right now because there's this essential really forgetting that when the therapist is showing up in the space with you, we're also dealing with the pandemic. We're also dealing with the racial reckoning that's happening. We're also dealing with economic insecurity. And it's not that our clients need to take care of us, but it's, it's, it's kind of like little kids not knowing that their teacher is a human outside of the schoolroom. That's really right. what and it- And they see him in the grocery store and they're like- What are you doing here? Like <laughs> that's, that's really truly how it feels as a therapist. And my invitation to clients is in, instead of expecting the therapist to do for you, right? I, I should be expected to fix you, to perform somehow some miracle that's gonna take away all of the stuff that's happening right now. And instead, I really am inviting clients to to sit in our shared humanity. And what is it like to be in a relationship where we're both trying to heal and we're both just trying to survive right now. And there's nothing that either one of us individually can do to fix it. So interesting. And so again, in, in the, uh, in the spirit of being provocative to, to, uh, I, I, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna ask some questions in the spirit yeah. of being provocative. Isn't, isn't that just kind of a wah, wah? Didn't you go to five, four, three years of school to get your master's degree so that you could step out of your shit and actually help me yeah. deal with mine? Yeah. And, and I believe that the way that we do that is by sharing our humanity. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think if people struggle to feel the nuance of what I'm asking, then it will feel like, oh, I'm complaining. I'm, you know, I'm wanting you to take care of me, but that's really not it. All, all we're asking our clients to do really, you know, if, if therapists are on board with this is just to be seen, you know, and for me, it's allowing myself to be seen in the therapeutic relationship in a way that I didn't think I was allowed to before. But truthfully, Aaron, I think that this time period, we will look back on this time period in the field of therapy and recognize everything changed during the pandemic. Because you're in my house. <laughs> my clients are in my home. My clients see my dog if my dog runs in. My husband doing crazy things out there. There's construction. Clients are experiencing my humanity, whether they know it or not. And I just want to make it more conscious and have a, a conversation about it. There really does seem to be a path forward in therapy where uh, the client and, and we're going to keep talking about this objectification because I really want you to define it. But that the client yeah. is saying, um, wait a second. So you're human and you have some tools that, you know, you're going through some stuff. Oh, 
like like I'm I'm I I'm I'm starting to recognize how you're talking about this that you going yeah. through stuff and I'm going through stuff and you helping me go through my stuff while I'm seeing you go through stuff and actually not only does it humanize you but it humanizes me I'm not I am not um uh what's the term uh terminally unique yeah. <laughs> right right well p part of what's happening too I think and overall when somebody comes to individual therapy, there's only so much that one hour a week can, can heal, right? You know, I've, I've been asking my clients for years to go to 12-step groups, to refuge recovery, to all those sorts of things, because I know that healing doesn't happen just one hour a week, right? And a client expecting that of me and not doing these things out of session is also part of the objectification process because they're giving me all of their power and saying, here, fix this, instead of recognizing the power that they have to enact change. And on a bigger spectrum, like the healthcare system is not actually set up to help heal people. It's really set up for symptom management. I mean, we know this in addiction, right? Like if we were doing like true help for addiction, we would be starting earlier in life. We wouldn't be, we wouldn't be starting once a patient gets into treatment, right? Mm -hmm. So my invitation is that we talk as clients and therapists about how the system is, is failing and what can the client advocate for, right? I, I just, I literally just had to call my insurance company because my, my psychiatrist had billed something incorrectly. And the only reason I knew that is because I'm a therapist and I know what's happening. That's not okay. It should not be a secret how to get your insurance to cover <laughs> all of your healthcare needs. That's ridiculous. And I, I want to develop more of this conversation so that we can start talking about what we really need and advocating for systemic change. Sarah, hang on just for a quick second. I'm going to break to say thanks to some of our sponsors for the C4 WCSAD 2020 event. And I'll be right back with you. And I want to really jump into what do you mean by objectification? Because it's a that's a loaded word. So I want to come back to that. Stand by for just a second. So. If you've listened to any of these podcasts and as we're starting to wrap around to to the to the end of all the episodes that I've I've recorded with these amazing speakers, you know what I'm about to say here. And that is this could not have continued because of covid, because as Sarah is saying, our own lives have been impacted by this. Um, I was living on the road and going from conference to conference and interviewing these speakers face-to-face, uh, -face, which was an incredible life-changing experience, that stopped. The conferences were in huge hotels and conference centers, and that stopped. And we all stopped bringing clients to our offices. And as Sarah said, they're coming into our homes now. Companies like C4 Events, who have made an incredible business on connecting professionals uh, in, the, in the world of recovery and a mental health development and intervention couldn't stop what they were doing. And it's because of the sponsors they could keep going. These are the bronze sponsors for the WCSAD, the West Coast Symposium on Addiction Disorders 2020 virtual conference. They showed up with the time, the money, and the energy to keep this connection going. Ideal practice, claim path solutions, promises behavioral health, Hogue Addiction Treatment Centers and Solmar Recovery, 12 South Recovery, Trauma and Beyond Psychological Center, Oric Consulting, Muir Wood, J Flowers Health Institute, Cirque Lodge, 
and benchmark transitions. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to our bronze sponsors for keeping this connection, this education, and this collaboration going, even if it's on Zoom and online. So listeners, that's how important it is to get behind a cause and sponsor it. Let's get back to Sarah. Sarah, objectification of a therapist. It sounds sexual. I know you have bigger intentions than that. That's generally the word we use around objectification. It has to do with um, using someone's body, image, lifestyle, orientation, gender to promote a belief that may or may not be true. How are, when you talk about therapeutic objectification or therapist objectification, what are you actually talking about? So objectification in a general term is referencing someone as an object and taking out their, the full context of their humanity. So when you think of it in that, in that respect, it's, it's pretty applicable to literally any situation, right? I could be, you know, objectifying somebody on the street just because I assume they look a certain way. People objectify me a lot just because they assume I, I, it's funny. I always got when I was working in treatment centers that I was a heroin addict and they would make up these crazy, amazing stories about me. And I was like, well, I kind of wish my life would have been that interesting, but it's not (laughs) right. So we, we can, we can constantly remove people's humanity when we stop being curious about who the other person is. And objectification, we, we fall into that trap often because we grow up in environments where we were objectified as children and, and treated as extensions as, of our parents. So my, I can just say my dad was a narcissist. And so my representation in the world from his point of view was essentially, look how great I am because I created this talented child who can do gymnastics and win singing competitions. And that was my basis of worth. And so when we grow up being objectified, we often then relate to ourselves by objectifying ourselves and we objectify other people. And so again, going back to what, how it happens in therapy is, you know, you seeing me as a therapist imbue me with, with things that you think a therapist should be. I should have all my shit together. Uh, I should know everything there is to know about mental health addiction, and I should know how to fix it. And none of those things are true. (laughs) Right. I mean, I have my shit together to a certain extent, but like you said before, I have education and I have experience in healing my own stuff but that doesn't mean I have the answers for you. I I believe that clients have the answers for themselves and the therapist is helping them uncover that. I'm not giving you anything that you don't already have. And if you come into a therapeutic relationship expecting that I have the answer, we're not, it's just not going to work and you're going to be disappointed in me. It puts a lot of the amount of discovery and work onto the client. And quite frankly, it's, It's there. There are some brilliant therapeutic interventions, motivational interviewing, for example, which is it's a genius process of getting the client to answer their own questions and and asking provocative questions that get the client in a state of denial to your question, but actually coming up with their the answer that they were really looking to you for that they did possess. It's, it's Ruby slippers, baby, click them and go home. Like you just got to be reminded you own them. I love this. Sarah, how are, how are families, parents, teachers, other clinicians going to get in touch with you? 
get in touch with me. Um, yeah. They can find me at headhearttherapy.com. And I'm also on Facebook there at Head Heart Therapy and Instagram at Head Heart Therapy. So that's the best way for them to find me. Facebook, Instagram at headhearttherapy.com. And then of course your podcast, Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Um, yep. I remember meeting you in Cape Cod and just right away, we're just like, oh my God, I got to introduce you to this network. And you, you did yeah. follow up with them. And I'm so glad to share the network with you. Um, so Sarah, as always, thank you. It's always enlightening to talk to you. I, I miss being able to high five and hug you across the table. Yeah. Um, but we'll get back there. As I said, this is, we this will. is a temporary thing. Any parting words for the families who are getting ready to send their kids to therapy? Take care of yourself. <laughs> right. I mean, parents are also objectified by their children, right? So as a parent, how do you need to take care of yourself? Because, you know, it's like, it's inherent in the therapeutic relationship that, I, you know, my clients are not supposed to take care of me. Your kids are not supposed supposed to take care of you. So what can you do right. to take care of yourself when you get feel this, this objectification? Fantastic. Sarah Bueno, thank you so much. Uh, and stay on the line so I can uh, give you virtual kisses and hugs before we sign off. I'm going to, I'm going to take us out. Okay. Thanks, Aaron. So this just concept of this conversation, this concept uh, about objectification, I really hope you listen to what Sarah said about how far it stretches. This assumption that these, these people are the people we think they are because this is what we've been taught to think. And none of it's real. And everybody truly is going through the same pandemic. And that does not cheapen what you're going through. But it enriches the relationships you are in because you are starting to recognize that at some level, the playing field, even if it's if it's about a pandemic or an alien invasion or a zombie apocalypse, things we never thought would happen, we all end up playing the same game and we got the same tools to play it. Working with a therapist, I've always seen as an opportunity to remind you of your inherent greatness and brilliance. Because when we're struggling with addiction and mental health, we forget. And that is a great role of a therapist. Just don't forget they got it going on too. I want to thank Deepin Productions for the incredible song and producing of the podcast and Your Cause Consulting for making sure that this and all my podcasts get in front of all the right people who really need the support. Thank you to C4 Events for keeping me on board as we go from conference to conference virtually here in 2020. Let's see what happens in 21. And thank you to the bronze sponsors who are showing up with the time, the money, and the energy to keep us all working and connected. Huge thanks to my guest, Sarah Bueno. Check her out on Conversations with the Wounded Healer. That's her podcast and headhearttherapy.com. Parents, as always, you're a, if you're a beyond risk and back parent, you know what I'm going to say, so say it out loud with me. Take care of yourself first, your adult relationship second, and your children third, because that's how you're going to do your best work with your children. I'll see you next week.